Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to the Football by Football Podcast. And welcome back to the FDF Podcast. This is In the Game. I'm Matt Chatham, joined with Brady Quinn here off a very busy week for both of us. Coming and going from one show to the next and finally able to pin each other down. Dive into a very, very busy week five uh, that leads in now to a very, very busy week six. So we got a lot to cover, so I'm going to dive right in. So, Brady, uh, week five surprise. Anything out there that, you know, sort of pleasantly surprised you, kind of hit you across the bow and said, you know, I've been waiting this first month of September. And as we inched into October here for this to happen with this team or for this to sort of turn the corner, was there something out there in week five that sort of struck you that way? Uh, a little bit, actually, with the Philadelphia Eagles. You know, they were coming off of a bye. They are okay. playing in Detroit. So they had some extra time to prepare um, for that matchup. And they came out flat. I mean, look, I get it. Sometimes you get into a bye week and maybe you're a little bit out of rhythm. But when you watch that team in the beginning of the game, I mean, it just didn't seem like anything that they were doing. Um, like they had to jump on, on Detroit. And I, you would have think that with two weeks to prepare, they would be fresh, they'd be ready to go, and ready to get back into it after that big win over the Pittsburgh Steelers in week three. So I was a bit surprised by the slow start for the Eagles early on in that game versus the Lions. Yeah, I would put myself uh, sort of in the same neighborhood there in the state of Pennsylvania, but I'm I'm going to go Steelers in that I, I was pleasantly surprised with the Steelers that they have adjusted so well to changes on their roster. I think one of the big things that, you know, a lot of the, the preseason talk was how they would adjust to Bell being sort of the surprise down and then they lose a Martavius Bryant and you know how is how is this team going to sort of ebb and flow they've had some issues on the offensive line defense was a real nice surprise early then they had the egg uh, against Philly Uh, and then I'm like you know what They, they have to sort of find new ways to win and a week ago you know Bell now returns and it's like wow you've got one of the most unique toys in all of football uh across the the way everyone is sort of you know the league focus was really hot and heavy on what was going on with new england you say oh brady's back and now brady has all these toys and i obviously see that perspective because that's that's where i live and work but uh i'm thinking sort of across the way over there in three rivers area uh they've got a very similar situation because some of these other guys sammy Coates, some of the other people who've just had greater roles in the absence of other people have really risen up and then Le'Veon Bell returns, and you still have uh, Williams there as well at the back position in case there is another bump in the road. Antonio Brown, you know, is always going to get his. I'm just thinking sort of in the back of my head, if there's another team that has a pretty full cupboard themselves that might tend to get overlooked in sort of the big stories that, that go on up here in New England, Pittsburgh might be that team. So uh, I've been sort of pleasantly surprised with what, what they've been doing. Sammy Coates, yeah. I mean, just wow is, is all I'd say there. Yeah, go for it. Yeah, I know. I mean, he's got six six receptions of over 40 yards. 
I mean, exactly. you go back through the, the rest of his career. I don't, I don't know if he even has that uh, total in the rest of his career. So just, just seeing him kind of all of a sudden step up to, uh, you know, opposite of Antonio Brown and that impact, I mean, it, it has been a bit surprising. Yeah, and I think that's in part because that's kind of what you thought you'd get out of Brian. It's almost like, and again, this is usually sort of the storyline narrative kind of thing up here in New England. It's like, you know what, one guy goes down, they'll just find some dude, he'll step in, he'll produce the exact same way, you know, the machine moves on. But I think it's not exclusive to New England. I think there's a lot of other good programs that that develop talent pretty well within. They do a good job of identifying people who are out there that could do that one good thing they need for them. And at the end of the day, I know he's he's rarely put in the same realm as 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 Rodgers and Brady and and those kind of guys and Manning who's now retired. But I've always really held Ben in, in in a top five kind of regard, generally around that five four range. And I think he I think he warrants that kind of consideration just because he tends to elevate people when stuff goes bad. He 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 flings it a little bit more, but. I think he keeps people in games or keeps his team in games. And I, he's someone that has kind of grown on me, if that even makes sense over the, of the course of his career. I just, uh, I find myself forgetting that he really deserves appreciation. He kind of sits in that class, but on the other side of things, there's something that was a little bit disappointing, the disappointing kind of surprise, the thing that's like, you know what, where is this really going? Uh, with this particular team we've you've played five weeks now you need to see the signs uh, the one team that's sitting out there for me uh, that had a win so I, I'm giving a team here sort of a knock even in victory is the Indianapolis Colts and, and I'm trying to figure out why they they struggle with poor teams uh, and why they, they they really have put some eggs out there in other weeks now this week they win they win 20 29 23 against the Bears but it's a pretty depleted Bears team. They're down their backs. Uh, Howard's doing a nice job of fill-in move there. Uh, Miller at the tight end position is still making catches, but he's almost become like a sticks guy, play in, play out, you know, high target guy for Brian Hoyer just because the targets are all gone. You know, everyone's all banged up. Kevin White goes to IR. They just had a real hard time generating much offense, and defensively it's, it's one of the more banged-up groups in all of football. So I'm thinking those are the kind of teams that are really ripe, that if you've really got something going on in your organization, and I know there's been gripes about the, the Indianapolis Colts offensive line, and a lot of that's warranted as well. But you should – I'm not seeing sort of the full team development where it's like the kind of team that you should really put away when you have them on your schedule, when you got them at home, and, and the Colts still scuttle. I just don't, I just don't believe that – We'll be sitting here another month and a half from now talking about the Colts as a legitimate playoff contender. I, I don't. I'm not convinced. I think at this point, uh, you yourself, anything out there, Brady, that that sort of that hit you that way? Yeah, I've got two teams. Uh, I'm going to start off in the AFC North with the Baltimore Ravens, and, and obviously they felt they need to make a change at offensive coordinator, firing Mark Tressman and yeah. elevating Marty Morningwig, who was the quarterback coach, um, just because of their lack of, for whatever reason, getting away from the running game. Like, you go back to that game. They open up, running the football seven times in that drive down the field to get a touchdown. All three running backs between Kenneth Dixon and Terrence West and, and Buck Allen all touched the football. They all played a part. Then I think you look at the rest of that half. I mean, I think they only maybe ran the ball four more times, and they just all of a sudden became very pass-heavy. I think people had kind of uh, you know accused Mark Tressman of doing that in the past with the Chicago Bears and not really being enough of a balanced team to have an impact. But we're talking about a team that started off 3-0, and then all of a sudden they dropped the past two weeks. And whether or not you want to make the case for the, the touchback rule with the fumble by C.J. Mosley on the interception, you know, would have yep. changed the outcome of that game. I think you could. But yep. at the end of the day, um, the Baltimore Ravens lost. And then you look at the San Diego Chargers, a team that 
just keeps finding new ways to losing games. This time is set up for a last second field goal and the holder can't get the ball down. Um, you, you look, look back to the last 16 games that they have now played that have been between eight points or less. They are three and 13 in those contests. Now you could chalk it up to all the injuries that they've sustained, but the bottom line is this team, for whatever reason, in the tight games, just can't figure out a way to get a win. And unfortunately, it's not coaching. It's not anything I believe that Mike McCoy has done, but he's going to be the one that has to suffer because, suffer because of it. And he's ultimately the one that's probably going to get fired because of the lack of production by his players when it counts the most. It's a cool call. I hadn't thought of it that way. And and it is interesting. I, I always wonder, when I start hearing names that I'm used to hearing, and you, like Tressman's one that comes up, Morningwig is the replacement is, is a very similar situation where – you know, there's sort of this old guard in the NFL. Trust me, not nearly as new. I mean, he comes from Canada by way of Chicago, by way of then passed around in, in coordinator spots. But I look at some of those names that I'm just so familiar with, and it's kind of like a – I hate to say it this way, but it's just what popped into my head. Sort of a Jeff Fishers of coordinators kind of thing. Like the guys who's <laughs> – everyone – you know, everyone knows their scheme. They're comfortable with them. Uh, but don't think, you you know, you're going to get a guy that has a competent mix. He has a footprint or a fingerprint or whatever you want to call it. He has an MO. He's worked well with some quarterbacks. So he's failed in other places. Uh, it's almost like just, you know, a, a comfortable Afghan or something <laughs> that, that when things don't go great, it's a guy you know that may have worked in the staff that you know or something like that. I just always feel like, teams have a habit of passing these guys around and maybe it's in part because you're comfortable with them because they're in the same tree or family or whatever it was. But I guess well, I don't let, know the gentleman. Let me, let me touch on this. Uh, Go for it. Let me touch on this a little bit because I was actually with the New York Jets uh, back in 2013, the first half of that season when Mark Sanchez was injured. I, I got brought in to, to back up Geno Smith. So I kind of had a firsthand look at Marty Morningwig as an offensive coordinator. And, and to be honest with yep. you, after just coming from the Seattle Seahawks, where they also have a West Coast system, I kind of felt felt like Marty Morningwig's system was a bit outdated. And, you know, he's a guy okay. who's been known for a long time around the league as a guy who was a part of the 49ers and a lot of their success out there, became head coach of the Detroit Lions. But just listening to the verbiage, listening to uh, how he conducted himself and all that, it just seems like it was a bit outdated in my opinion. Obviously, the whole staff ended up getting fired. Geno Smith didn't really have a whole lot of success with him. And, and to be honest with you, I didn't want to put a lot of that on Geno Smith. I thought – in games, I had a hard time as the backup on the sideline trying to get a feel for what the rhythm of the play calling was. It seemed like we had plays in there for play-action pass before we even ran the football to at least give the defense a, a sort of a semblance of what other things we can do out of a certain formation. Um, so I'm not sure how this is going to go over, to be honest with you. Uh, I, I'm, I'm kind of curious to see, too, if the terminology that Mark Tressman installed is, is going to be applicable or, I guess, going to translate to what Marty Morningwood wants to do because um, that's the other element, right? Mark Tressman was hired to be the yeah. coordinator. He's the one who installed everything. And, and you look at Marty Morningwood's offense, it's old, old-school West Coast. I mean, there's different terms and verbiage that they've dropped out. For example, um, not many people say zebra drive anymore. He's got that in his playbook. They just say drive, and it's kind of assumed who actually has the drive route. That Z, that Z wide receiver or that flank wide receiver, as you'd call them, uh, or even flanker job. I mean, there's different terminologies and things that he says in right. his offense that hasn't hasn't been around for quite some time. So I'll be curious to see how this plays out for the Baltimore Ravens. It's kind of a cool – you bring up kind of a cool, really, insider 
kind of football point behind the the red curtain, whatever, however you want to look at it. But I've dealt with this several times on different staffs, uh, really more with my Jets time, my Jets years, where uh, one staff is brought over. Mangini's coming over, but he's got to put together a staff, and he can't put he can't possibly find you know a full staff of twelve to fourteen coaches or whatever you would need who are all sort of. Uh, baptized in the New England system necessarily. Those people just don't exist, you know. His, his circle of friends is all basically working in New England or at, at other college spots or sprinkled around the league, and they're all not going to be able to come over in, in one swift movement. Uh, so you end up with a lot of guys with backgrounds that have nothing to do with the Patriots. You know, Bob Sutton, great coordinator in the league. He's now in Kansas City, but he's, you know, kind of the old dog that was in the room, former uh, head coach in Army. Like he's, you know, hardcore guy, has his system, has his beliefs. It's wildly not say wildly but it is distinctly different than what coach belichick does um and then jim herman comes in who's been the defensive coordinator from michigan it's just you know left field again i mean these aren't same systems these are three different people that do three different things and they're all trying to sort of make it make sense on one spot so i felt like year one was almost like okay let's just do whatever mangini says (laughs) you know let's just take his terms his old new england stuff and Let's just all try to be a little New England down here, you know. And then it's almost like in year two, they all kind of say, all right, you know, let's integrate the stuff that makes sense to me. You know, we'll take that template. We'll take what makes sense to them. But let's let's meld in what what works for us, too. And I almost feel like with time, it, it, it I don't know, gravitates back towards what they, they know best. But I think that probably happens a lot. It's probably not a unique experience. Uh, all right. So here, one, la- one last thought I wanted to have. And I, I really like to hit on things like this because I think sometimes we get caught up in the the storylines. I know I do. I mean, you know, there's three or four or five biggest things that go on in the league and then everything else kind of gets passed by because the headlines tend to dominate things. I, I found myself obviously watching the, the Patriots game closely like last week and knowing the Browns, you know, within a couple of series, I realized it was, was not going to be a close game. Even in study up the game kind of felt like it would probably go that way as well. One guy came away from in that game though, that, you know, even watching half a dozen other games for the weekend, I I was really, really impressed by this guy. And I know he started to get some headlines. It's Terrell Pryor. And I know that in past, in, in last week isn't a great week to bring him up because he didn't light up the box score. Nobody played well. It ended up being sort of a Gary Barnage day anyway when they were just trying to salvage a little bit of O there. Uh, but I came away from him really impressed. And I wanted to bring him up in part because I know you'll know him a little bit as an Ohio guy, at least not, not a Notre Dame kid, but at least – a guy that played there in the state, I think he's a star in the league. And I'm taking that off a real anecdotal watching just a few games, but he has a quality about him. He has sort of a, just a confidence. He slides in and out of his breaks. He just, his gait is different as he runs these routes. He just looks natural. It just looks like this dude was made to do what he's doing. And I saw him matched up against Malcolm Butler, who's really grown into a good corner of this league and look like, you know, if I would squint, I'm like, Oh, that's AJ green, you know, or that's Julio Jones, or that's another one of these big, super athletic wide receivers. I came away from that going, who cares what the box score says? That dude's going to be a player. It'd be interesting to watch him grow and watch his career. Do you have an opinion on him or have you seen much of him, Brady? Yeah. Yeah. I've actually got to break him down a decent amount. I mean, I always try to stay close to my roots there with the Cleveland Browns and, and given the fact that he, he went to Ohio State and played quarterback there, I obviously followed him closely, right. considering that's my hometown and all that. But, you know, look, I think the transition that he's made has been remarkable, really. Um, and, and I think it's actually going to probably encourage more co- you know, college quarterbacks who are really athletes playing quarterback 
not necessarily right. quarterbacks who are athletic. There's a big difference between the two, and we're seeing a lot of it right now at, in, at the college level. And I think actually that was one of the guys who helped persuade Braxton Miller to make that change and that tra- uh, transition as well. So we've already right. seen it impact another Ohio State uh, quarterback. But I'm talking about him in a few different ways. Let's just look at him from a roster perspective. He's your right. emergency three quarterback. You no longer have <laughs> no. to have three quarterbacks on your roster. You could even go in if you're banged up and you're, you know, let's say the New England Patriots and you're going into a short week versus the Houston Texans. You can even have only one quarterback like Jacoby Brissett because he can go in there. He can give you some snaps as a quarterback. Well, they call a wild call, whatever you want, because he's a capable right. thrower as well. But as far as a wide receiver, I think what impresses me the most is the fact that he's taken the knowledge and the savvy that he had as a quarterback as far as a feel for the timing of a route and what a quarterback is looking for, whether it's Cody Kessler or Josh McCown, and he's applied it now to his route running tree and his ability. And I think that's what makes him seem uh, like a guy who's easy to get open and he's in the right spots and all that because he's got a more advanced, uh, I guess he's got more advanced knowledge of where he should be and the timing of it and the feel of it. So when he's out there, it looks natural because he's not thinking He's just playing. He's feeling the game. And you you go back to his time when he was in Pennsylvania as a high school athlete, uh, very, very good athlete, three-sport athlete, highly decorated in in basketball and and football and all of that. Um, But the fact of the matter was uh, he was going to be known for his running ability unless he developed himself as a passer. That never happened. So now he's found a way of developing himself into a very effective wide receiver. Yeah, and I, I guess I say this with just a giant asterisk. I mean, I understand he's a late bloomer. He had he made the transition. You end out in Oakland. You're in a bad offense there. It's he shuffled along. He ends up in another place. Uh, is in another bad offense now. But it's just one of those things where, and you kind of do see this happen from time to time with a with a with a with a nice player. There are there are players playing great ball all around the league that you don't see because they're on teams that aren't doing great. That that's a pretty common thing. Uh, and he's the kind of guy because he made the transition. And he was a really well-known quarterback in college, and he comes and he tries a new position. He doesn't. It's not just gangbusters right off the bat. I think it's easy to forget about those guys. But you know, I, I think he's in a situation now, especially in the absence of Josh Gordon and them really needing some place to go with the ball other than tight end and running game. Uh, he's an intriguing guy, and it's just you know I hope. If, if the Browns are back in a situation where they're they're drafting a quarterback next year or whatever it is, and they're going to revamp the the team entirely, I just feel like that's a guy that you'll look back two or three or four years from now, and he'll be a part of it. And I won't be surprised at all. I, that I was I was really impressed. Sometimes not knowing the backstory, I think almost can help. Like I'm just watching that dude, and I'm like, that dude looks good, <laughs> you know, for whatever that whatever yeah. value there is in that. So okay, heading here on to week six, and we really need to get into this because we've got a huge week of games. So. Uh, I, I'm actually kind of excited about this week because in, in the world of gambling, in the world of doing picks, in the world of fantasy, any of this stuff, there's there's a lot of game with a lot of games with I think impact as far as where teams will sort of develop because they've had some questionable opponents so far. Not that you know you play who you play; it's, it's just going through your own schedule. But now there's some real good challenge weeks this week, and uh, I'm excited about that. So one of the biggest ones, I think, is the Cowboys-Packers. I think the Cowboys-Packers games, I kind of put that as my first sort of 1 or 1A kind of game for the week, in part because it's strength on strength. We all know the Cowboys' offensive line. We've been talking about that for years. They continue to grow and get better. So, but the, the thing that's really intriguing to me about that is is the high regard that we throw, hold the hold the Cowboys offensive line in. I saw Ezekiel and and then paired with Ezekiel Elliott, which 
wow. I've watched a couple of his games this year. Uh, this is the first one I think I went wire to wire on, at least live without a rewatch. And it, it, it really told me two things. So, uh, you know, they obviously bring the back over from Washington. Morris, am I blanking on that name? I hope I got that name correct as well. Uh, but one of the things yeah. that I was really impressed with, yeah, Morris, yes. But one of the things I was really impressed with there, and what I think is is extra helpful when you have a side-by-side, He's a very steady back. Morris is a tough dude as well. And I mean, I don't, he's never been in a, a super, you know, explosive offense out there in Washington. But when you watched him in Dallas, there's times where, oh, wow, he'd squirt through there. He'd break a tackle or two. He'd really hit the hole hard. Tough to bring down. I'm like, oh, that's a pro. You can see that dude really knows what he's doing. He's, he's a good player. But then Elliot would get his snap. You know, he'd get his snaps and he'd start doing that little thing with a spoon. Feed me, feed me. Him and Des going back and forth. And you just watch the the subtlety, just the tail end of of him breaking through a hole, and his in a, his ability to sort of squeeze through something and get what that awful good back Morris might get five or six on, and he gets twelve or thirteen. Like and it's like you know what I'm seeing Morris there, and I'm I'm saying wow that's a good job. I've seen plenty of backs in the league that might get stuck at two, three, or four and not make it through that hole. He does. He gets the extra chunk. But then I watch Elliot. I'm like man, that's next level. He may double up on anything that happens to be out there, and he's a step forward uh, through that hole where some of the things that developed in front of Morris that he wasn't able to escape from. Well, Elliot would have already been past it and through it. It's just I thought just from just simple art of running. It was really fun to watch, and it was also, I think it illustrates well how a really, really good back can make all the difference in the world, just like just as the difference for me from a receive, one receiver that's demonstrably different than another. So I'm excited for that game because the Packers, they currently, through just four games, uh, have the number one run defense in the NFL. So it's really going to be a strength-on-strength back in Green Bay, and that'll be a, that'll be a fun game to watch. Uh, one game I wanted to kind of throw back to you. Uh, I know that you've spent some time with – at, uh, at one of these places, and they're kind of one of those teams that sort of sits in the middle of the road. They've had some good wins. They've had some bad losses. Uh, it's the Raiders and Chiefs. So uh, these guys are going to meet up. The Raiders seem to be peaking quite a bit. The Chiefs are sort of right at that point where if they want to stay competitive uh, with Denver and with now apparently Oakland at the top of this, they're going to need this win on the road. Anything you've seen there, anything particular, particular that you're looking for in that Raiders-Chiefs game? Um, yeah, it, it's tough because right now their defense for Oakland's ranked 32nd in the league. I mean, they are you absolutely know? abysmal. They're giving up a ton of yards. So I'm curious to see Andy Reid and that offense coming off a of bye week and seeing what he has schemed up for them. I mean, they've been better the past couple weeks. It's been in large part because, you know, Jack Del Rio's decided to go with a couple of his young, uh, you know, signees, Corey James and, and Carl Joseph. But uh, when you look at that defense as a whole, they've, they've struggled. I mean, they, they've improved, but they're still nowhere close to where they need to be if they want to try to compete with the likes of the Denver Broncos in that division and really just go back to last week's game. I mean, San Diego right. came back in that game, and really they had a field goal to win it, and they probably would have had they just gotten the hold down. So um, you, you're kind of looking at this team saying, yeah, they're 4-1, and they, they look good right now because of that record, but they've got some holes. And, and I think Kansas City is a team that, you know, they're not the most flashy team, but they're going to be a tough right. matchup for the Oakland Raiders. I know that game's being played out in Oakland, so you always want to give the home team uh, the, the, the advantage in this case. Uh, but I don't think it's much of one. I think this will be a very, very close game. So I'm curious to see just what kind of particular things that Andy Reid does to try to attack that Oakland Raiders defense, given how poor that they have played. And really it's been more against the pass 
it's been more pass heavy yeah. teams, not necessarily running the football. And obviously, we know the exactly. ML of the Kansas City Chiefs. They are more of a run first team. So that's what I'm most curious to see. Yeah, I'm curious with uh, sort of the linebacker group uh, of Oakland, how they're able to hold up with uh, sort of an unknown. You go into that game, I think you you would have concerns on the edge, not necessarily pass rush so much, but just because you've got so many bounce-out cutback guys. Uh, Jamal Charles is supposedly full go. Uh, it, I would assume he'll still be rep limited because it's off, the, uh, off a big major surgery, but he did get out there last week, but it wasn't a lot. I mean, he got a series early. Then the game got out of hand, and they threw him back in there late for whatever reason. But it wasn't like, a, oh, okay, we got a real hard read on where where Charles is at. So now, you know, the time down, full week of practice, ready to roll. Sounds like he's back. Uh, Spencer Ware is there, but Charkandrick West is the other one. I, he, I believe he's been banged up as well. So you've kind of got an interesting mix there where it's like, you know, Travis Kelsey is a very good pro. Uh, Jeremy Macklin is still there, but I, he hasn't had the wow plays that he had in 2015. There haven't been a lot of big shots and accumulated the touchdowns and things like that, albeit we're only through here, you know, five games or whatever. But I, I think that if there is going to be an element of explosiveness with that Chiefs offense, and we never really expect that, but it could come from that back group and some mismatches they'll, they'll find with those three guys and whatever combination they use against the backs in space or against the linebackers in space. So uh, I'm, I'm really interested to see where that one goes. And, you know, sort of a childhood fan, I'm not trying to be too, too fanboy about this, but I've been through this uh, since, you know, probably back through college where there's been moments where the, the Raiders really look like they're going to turn the corner and uh, they'll have a game that sets up in their favor, as this one does, having them at home, having a team that uh, has struggled to score against their own defense, which that would be sort of the area where they could use a little juice. Uh, and, and, they, and they bomb on those kind of moments. And I'm sure Jack Del, Del Rio knows that history there. They know that there are certain sort of milestones that they need to pass in this organization just psychologically to, to get this thing over the hump, especially with – you know, uh, the, the, the Broncos lingering, they're not going away. The chargers look to be plucky. Uh, the division is still very difficult. So uh, they, they, they need this. <laughs> I'll just put it that way. So that's going to be a really interesting one to watch. And if they get over the hump, I think that means great things for the, for the silver and black, and it could end up being a nice year for them, but this is a big one. Uh, the next one I wanted to go do was another team you've had some familiarity with uh, Falcons and Seahawks. I think, uh, We've been doing this for the last several weeks where we say, are the Falcons for real? And then they win. And then we say the Falcons are real. And then they win. They beat Carolina. Uh, they go out and beat Denver in the absence of their quarterback, but still a very good win. Uh, now they kind of travel to Seattle. And as I'm watching this, I'm like, you know what? For whatever hopes you may have had for that team, good, bad, or otherwise for Atlanta, uh, wow, they had, they had Carolina, Denver, and Seattle three weeks in a row. Good Lord, the schedule makers hated them this year. But they might get through that gauntlet. Uh, it's it's a pretty amazing turn of events if they do, even to come out 2-1. and one. Anything particular you're looking for in that game, Brady? Well, yeah, well, let's go back to last week where the Atlanta Falcons really utilized both running backs in their matchup versus one of the best defenses in the NFL and the Denver Broncos. They used their running backs yeah. on the linebackers, of the Broncos, and the Broncos linebackers struggled. I mean, you look at Tevin Coleman, he had four catches for 132 yards and a touchdown. Uh, Devontae Freeman in the running game was a beast as well. Kyle Shanahan, you know, found that mismatch, kind of realized that they were going to take away Julio Jones and Mohamed Sanu, and that's where they went to, and they were very effective with it, enough to get the win, even though the Broncos did start backup quarterback Paxton Lynch. Even though he's the quarterback of the future, I just don't think he's quite ready yet. Uh, But uh, still, a great win on the road. I I think this week, we're talking about 
two long road trips for a team that's based down in Atlanta, Georgia. They've got to go across yeah, the country now yeah. again to Seattle. Uh, too tough an environment to deal with. Uh, I think you look at the six sacks that they accumulated last week versus the Broncos' offensive line. It was in large part because they had moved around some pieces. Ty Sembrilo really struggled, and Vic Beasley ended up having three and a half sacks, so kind of a coming-out party for him. Uh, and, and even exactly. though the Seattle Seahawks' offensive line has struggled, look, the Seahawks are coming off a bye, and Russell Wilson's going to be healthy, and he's more mobile. Yep. You know, he's not as, as much of a statue in the pocket like, like Paxton Lynch is. So I think the Seattle Seahawks, We'll be able to do enough to protect Russell Wilson, and he'll be able to do enough to get away from a lot of that, that pressure that Atlanta, I think, brought last week. And let's be honest, too, six sacks last week, that made 10 on the season. So they had four coming in to last week. Right. It's not like they've really been a dominant defensive front. Uh, so kind of right. looking at that, and then just curious to see what Kyle Shanahan does. I think he's done a tremendous job game planning um, for a lot of the defenses that they've faced, and they found production. So what's he going to do now? You know, we saw them be able to air it out. Uh, versus the secondary, which is the weakness of the Carolina Panthers, to Julio Jones. 500 yards for Matt Ryan, 300 for Julio Jones. That wasn't yep. the case the next week, but they still get the win because of the running back matchup. What are they going to go to now? Because look at that Seattle Seahawks defense, and there's not right. many weaknesses. So that, that's right. what I'm most curious to see is how they're able to have success if they are, which I don't think they will be in this case. Well, the angle I'm interested in is is sort of flip side there. We because Dan Quinn, you know, I had him as a coach for a couple of years down in New York. Uh, he was sort of they, they called him technically the defensive line coach, uh, but he co-coached with uh, uh, Brian Cox at the time. And Brian Cox was a former teammate of mine, obviously a longtime linebacker in the NFL. Cox was was growing into sort of D, some D line work. But what what Dan Quinn's title was unofficially officially I don't know exactly how that all worked out but uh because Bob, uh, he he would basically be the the pass rush coordinator like he had a position group but then whenever we went to sub he was really responsible for sort of building our gaming you know how we would game stuff how we would pocket control against particular quarterbacks the different kind of schemes we would we would go after any kind of t- tweaks or quirks or anything we would do in the fronts was kind of with Dan the why that's interesting to me is because his sort of lineage post jets was all that time he spent out in Seattle. So I'm curious. He knows what you and I both know, how dangerous Russell can be. And he also knows that the old line has been much maligned. Uh, I'm really curious to see Dan with that kind of background. And he has a history with that team. And he knows how they're going to want to try to protect him. Uh, maybe just how the run pass mixes will be, where he'll he'll think that they'll try to attack his own group. But I think this is a really fun X's and O's game because it's it's sort of known unknown. Uh, with people that really specialize in the area that's going to need to be good against that particular team. So I'm curious just to see how Danny goes about him. And sometimes the, you know, the mentor goes back and, and steals one because of some of the information he has that he thinks can, it can sort of work. Uh, it's hard to do it two and three and four times, but sometimes that first swing back versus a bat, you can, uh, you can steal one. So who knows? So they've, they've really uh, surprised me two weeks in a row. If Atlanta goes out and has another great game, I, I shouldn't be surprised, I guess, at this point. So one final one here, and you kind of half touched on it because you, 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 you touched on the Eagles a little bit earlier, but I'm watching that NFC East, and we, we, we touched on another one of those teams earlier by, by hitting on the Cowboys, but there's some movement. Uh, this is sort of move week. Uh, it's not college football, but this is really one of those weeks where I think some separation can happen in that group. If for some reason Dallas goes out there and you know lays a stake, 
in the middle of, of, of uh, Lambo, you know, that really would shake up. I think the the NFC or at least clear up the picture there a little bit, but also put a lot of stress in the NFC East because it looked like the Eagles were this surge of surge team. And then they go and have a stinker in Detroit, or at least a disappointing one that finally seems to let a little steam out of what they going on. The, the Redskins on the other hand are sort of right in that mix of an okay team. They can do some stuff offensively. The defense is okay. If not average, uh, they well, one of the sort of big pieces of news this week is Jordan Reed, their big time tight end. Uh, sounds like through practice, he's going through concussion protocol. His availability is a little bit in question as you and I do the show. Uh, the one sort of issue that has cropped up, it's come, it's gone, is, is interceptions at the quarterback position there in Washington. But uh, he, he sort of seems to have worked his way through it and had some productive weeks where they've kept him kind of on track. But they sit right in that, that little slot of, are they going to be an okay team? Are they going to be a competitor? Or is the rest of that top end of the East going to run away from them? A uh, huge game, I think, this week with Philly and Washington. So we got to transition here to the final one just because I know we're we're getting low, long on time, but it's Patriots Bengals. And obviously that's the game that's of interest here locally. Um, but having watched that, that, that Bengals game, I'd, I'd almost rather focus on that team more than new England. Uh, curious as to how they respond after a bit of a stinker out in Dallas. And we know our buddy, Rocky Boyman who works radio there in Cincinnati, you know, been watching his Twitter responses and really some concern about offensive line play there and how it has really sort of affected all the things that we're so used to seeing Cincinnati do well. Uh, anything particular you've noticed with Cincinnati or concerns or ways they can turn it around and be a, a team that's a little more dangerous like what we're used to seeing a year ago? Yeah, well, I think, look, the, the loss of Mohamed Sanu has greatly impacted this team, and it's it's mostly because Tyler Eifert hasn't been healthy. So you look at you looked at an offense last year that was so productive in part because they had three options. They really had a good one-two combination, but also this tight end who was really tough to match up with. And so right. that kind of allowed teams or it forced teams to try to choose – you know, or pick their poison. And you're not seeing that at all this year. Eifert hasn't been healthy. Sanu's not there. And no one has really stepped up in his place. I mean, you go back and you look at last week. I mean, Brandon LaFell had a good game, but I think that was the game plan. Like, make sure A.J. Green doesn't kill us, and we'll let Brandon right. LaFell have two touchdowns. Like, we're okay with that. And, and you look at some of the struggles of that offensive line, that's probably been one of, I guess, the other big surprises of this year as far as the NFL season. I mean, they've given up 17 sacks seven sacks you know. week one. So obviously that was a huge number um, to, to get out, you know, start out the gate. But this is a team that's never really struggled that much in protecting Andy Dalton. And I think it's a combination of things. They're not running the ball consistently. That's part of it. And I think part of that needs to be put on Ken Zampezi. You know, he's been a guy who's been an offensive, co- uh, excuse me, a, a quarterback coach, but not an offensive coordinator really, at least at the NFL level for uh, any significant or successful period of time. So um, you're looking at him kind of saying, okay, he's still trying to figure out, you know, his own blueprint or what his identity is as a play caller. So they're not running the ball consistently. They're they're not necessarily getting open because they don't have that number one option in A.J. Green. So many teams are doubling him or at the very least right. putting their best corner and giving safety help. And then the other element is that that's forcing then Andy Dalton to hold on to the football. So he's got to do a better job of taking off and utilizing his legs when he can um, but, but the other thing, I mean, the last thing, I guess, is they don't have the safety valve, which was Tyler Eifert. So it seemed like when Dalton would get in trouble, he at least had that option over the middle of the field somewhere. So 
it, it's been a culmination of things, I believe, as far as at least looking at the Bengals' struggles. Uh, but the matchup that I think that New England's going to utilize is really the biggest weakness of the Bengals' defense. That's their safeties. I mean, I have no idea how they're going to try to cover both Bennett and Gronk versus some very bad, you know, very poor safeties as far as their play this year for the Bengals. That's that's kind of the matchup that I'm looking for. And if I was a you know fantasy player or something, I'd be trying to start whatever tight end I had going against the Bengals uh, team. It's such a weird week. I'm glad you bring up the fantasy angle of it. I, I, in the DFS world, the daily fantasy stuff, uh, the prices are so jacked up on everything New England this week that even when they're produ- productive, the ROI might not be great because you're paying so much to get into these dudes. But one of the unique things, that, and, and I, I remember this as a player uh, on those teams, uh, you know, even as a player and even as an opponent for three years, the Patriots have a habit of, you know, remembering, I don't know, coaching trees or, or old teams where they had success and taking that same style game and trying to redo it, uh, not necessarily copy it because they'll package it differently. But as an example, Dolphins teams that were under the certain same uh, defensive coordinator, they always ran heavy on, you know, it was almost like Dolphins week. We know we're going back to that. Yeah, we're going to package it differently. Yeah, we're going to go after it. But you guys know it's Dolphins week. Dolphins week means we're going to try to pound them into submission with a run game, just something along those lines. I think they look at the Bengals and the Bengals sort of had like one of those weirdo game plans where we were in a year in 2014 here. Uh, where the Patriots had the Bengals on the schedule, and it was that big game that helped turn around and get them back into it. Remember the, the ugly game with the Chiefs, and people were questioning Brady and blah, 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 and then they blew out the Bengals at home, and that kind of turned things around. You go back and look at that game, they had over 40 rushing attempts on the day. Uh, Steven really had over 120, 130 yards, something crazy. Uh, just a big day out of everyone. They pounded the crap out of the football and then also both are tight ends Gronk and at the time Tim Wright who'd come over in the trade with Logan Mankins with Logan Mankins uh from Tampa Bay both of those guys they accounted for I think uh, almost 200 yards together over 10 catches two touchdowns it was like big tight end day and big running game day uh, and I just know that New England has a habit of going back, looking at the team they last played them. Are the coordinators the same? Maybe. Are the, is the system the same? Yeah, because it's still Marvin. Uh, okay, we know how we went about them. Now, we're not going to give them the same plays, but we're going to really sort of build this in a very similar manner. Hey, LeGarrette, get ready. Hey, Gronk and Bennett, get ready. That kind of thing. So I think it would be a week where those three people are going to have – prominent roles until until Cincinnati stops them but they're gonna need to because in the same situation there with them the division may run away with them uh Pittsburgh looks awfully good and since he may be looking at yeah, real hard time of even making a wild card if they put too much space between themselves and the rest of the AFC so Brady I'm gonna transition out of that and just ask you sort of one big final question um what uh what do you got going on this week in college football and uh where where does life bring you I'm actually flying out to Tucson, Arizona. I've got USC at Arizona, and it's actually interesting because after that rough start USC had, they're now trying to make a play for the Pac-12 South, and they very well could be the team that goes to the Pac-12 championship game. However, Utah right now owns the tiebreaker since they beat them in head-to-head play. But ever since they changed and put Sam Darnold at quarterback, uh, they've been very good. I believe they're one and two, and you look at their offensive productivity and even take care of the football, they're mu- they're much better off. So. I'll be curious to see how they kind of continue in the college football realm. But other than that, I'm just kind of curious to see what happens with Colin Kaepernick. I know that's a big storyline and 
yeah. don't necessarily always try to um, you know talk about some of the stuff that everyone else is talking about, but th- this is probably truly his last chance at really making an opportunity to make it work in an offense that I think really caters to his skill set. So I'm looking forward to seeing you know how that debut goes. I personally, you look at the personnel. Jeremy Curley is a good slot wide receiver, but he's not your number one, and he is the leading receiver right now for the 49ers. <laughs> so that's going to be tough for Colin right. Kaepernick to to find productivity. However, I'll, I'll say this. I mean, look, Chip Kelly's offense allowed for multiple players who were in it, whether it's quarterbacks or whoever else, to have a lot of success in that system. I mean, you don't have to look any further than Nick Foles throwing 27 touchdown passes to two interceptions in, in Chip Kelly's right. uh, system. So I think it does have the ability to allow players to excel, even if they're not the most gifted or talented athletes. Uh, but, look, the Bills are playing really well. Uh, if not for – their loss to the New York Jets, and in that game, they're a top-10 defense. If you look at, look at them, statistically speaking, based on yardage. So right. it's not an easy matchup uh, for Colin Kaepernick and the 49ers having to fly all the way across the country. So I'll be curious to see how that game goes. Yeah, it's a great point. I, I'd actually forgotten to touch on that, and I would I would simply make the, the, the falling away point that th- this is made – this is as good as it'll get for Colin Kaepernick. This has got to be his moment. You know, if, if he was, if I think if I'm Chip Kelly, not necessarily Colin Kaepernick of today, but Colin Kaepernick of three years ago, uh, that would probably be your handpicked guy other than maybe Mariota who he'd actually coach. But uh, I would say that this should be, if he can get him going, and as you mentioned, sort of personnel is not great around him. You know, Torrey Smith is still there but hasn't really taken on a number one kind of role. Carlos Hyde's a good back, but Vance McDonald's been banged up. I mean, they have some players, but it really looks like, hey, that could be your quarterback. If you can get him to somehow find the magic touch and somehow be a little more accurate in the intermediate game uh, and really accentuate his skills on the edge and get him running around, who knows? But uh, And I also do thank you for because I am the East Coast bias that you guys out there speak of because every time, every time I speak to you, you go, oh, yeah, Pac-10 is still playing football. Pac-12, excuse me. I'm dead serious. It's Pac-12. That's the best part. Pac-12, so Pac-12. you don't even know. Yeah, the big eight. The big eight, too, right? <laughs> no, but I, I swear. I said, so, I, so, like, so oh, I, did, I did Washington last week, and no yeah. one knows about this quarterback who's going to be an oh, NFL prospect. The only knock on him oh, is his size. But Jake Browning, 26 total touchdowns accounted for. He's second to Lamar Jackson, who's got 28. But you watch this kid. I mean, as far as passing efficiency and decision-making and all that stuff, he's got all the tools. And, and he's, he's running a somewhat complicated offense that they run there at, at Washington. So he's, he's kind of been this, this guy who's like a dark horse for the Heisman, and no one's talking about him. But, of course, there's a lot of football left to be played, so he has to – continue to do his part, but he's been phenomenal this year. So hopefully people uh, will have the opportunity to watch him, even though it's, it's late at night on the East coast. I, I again, and I'm, I cannot speak on behalf of like an entire region or anything crazy like that, but it is, it's the sleeping thing, man. It's like, by the time I've worked my games in the afternoon, then I watch the night game, which is generally an East coast game. And I never get that out of the game. I just, I don't. And it, it's, it's not that there's not great football being played out there. We know Washington's had this is awesome story out West, but man, you just, yeah, you see the Louisville flash, you see a little bit of the Clemson stuff. They have the nice win. It's, it, you know, Alabama's doing what they always do. You just, I tend to stick my eyeballs over here. You catch a little Big Ten story here and again, and it's like, oh, you know what? There's another conference out there, and I'm going to talk to Brady this week and see what's going on at West, but I appreciate that, buddy. Okay, so that's it. Have, have an awesome weekend. Uh, I saw the pictures of your kid on 
on uh, on uh, Twitter or something like that. Cute as hell. So obviously yeah. you got some busy well, parenting was, to get up. Having to. a very she was having a very rough day, Matt. So I hope hopefully your day was better than hers because she seemed to have <laughs> for an infant one of the worst days of her life. Well, there you go. My hey, here's how my day went. I was filling uh, coach tonight on uh, my eight year old's uh, flag football team, and uh, the both coaches were were out of town, so they needed a fill in. And usually, I have night TV for Neston on Wednesdays, but I got that switched around, so I was able to go with my son. And I was a little nervous, you know, I don't have plays or anything like that. You're just kind of saying, "Hey, hey, little Jimmy, go this way. Hey, little Billy, go this way." That kind of thing. It's like a herding cats kind of deal. And I had a, an absolute clean game. Everything went pretty well. Our team won 12 nothing. No major, no injuries, no nothing crazy. And one of the last plays, they blow a horn, which means that there's just a, you know, the, like get the next player two in and then we're going to shake hands. One of the little kids uh, punched another kid in the neck. <laughs> and, and, oh, it's terrible. It's like, you know what? I'm the fill-in guy. It's almost like being a substitute teacher. It's like, I don't want the, the school to burn down. Let's just, we're almost through here. We got to the very last play, and apparently these two kids had been going at each other, and I'd missed it. Uh, you know, some of the parents on sidelines said they, the two had been sort of tussling, and didn't like how each other was blocking the other guy or whatever. And then one of the kids, <laughs> one of the kids' throat punched him, and I'm like, you know what? He's a little guy. It's, it's a nice move, son. Literally, <laughs> I didn't see it, literally but... going for the jugular. Literally, literally went for the jugular at eight years old. So uh, I had to send a, a little, a little, a little text message to the commissioner and say you might be getting a strongly worded email from one of the parents. <laughs> I missed it. Sorry. <laughs> uh, that was my classic. All right, man. We'll take care and have a wonderful weekend. We'll talk to you next week. You too. I'll see you. See you, buddy. And that's it for another fun week of In the Game, the Football by Football podcast. Make sure you check us out on iTunes, subscribe to the channel. We'll get these delivered to your digital doorstep each and every week, and you can look at the archives, see all of the old shows. As always, keep checking out footballbyfootball.com. We post the podcast there, obviously, but we'll also have that great content from Brady Papinga, Brady Quinn, Rocky checking in from time to time, myself dropping stuff, videos, unique sort of pieces there for you to really see inside what goes on in the game we enjoy doing it for you we hope you enjoy reading it have a great week everyone enjoy your little football weekend thanks for listening to the football by football podcast football insight by football players hi lucky hi dusty good night ned good night ned good night ned Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.